Hello, and thank you for joining us for week four of our Making Space series. This week, we're going to be talking about how we make space for God's grace. Think about this for just a moment. The Christian life is frustrating when it turns into a set of rules and regulations that we have to follow. If we measure ourselves against the standard Jesus set, it doesn't take long for us to realize that we often fall short. In fact, way short. That's why this message of grace is so important for us today. Unlike a sales job, there aren't quarterly goals or stats that we have to meet. God isn't in heaven keeping score of our good deeds versus bad deeds, so neither should we. The reality for most of us is our mentality is reality. We often maybe view God as a scorekeeper or a judge and live in fear because of it. This week, it doesn't have to be that way. God has given us grace upon grace, not that we can take advantage of it, but because we need it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we certainly do. So as we kick off today, look at it through the lens that we don't have to be good enough. We just have to follow after Jesus and his grace. Join us this week for week four of our podcast of Making Space. Making space for God's grace, that is our bottom line today. I wonder, have you ever had a sales job? You know, one of those jobs where your entire employment hinges on the ability to convince other people to buy something from you. If you have, you know it's a unique kind of pressure. I remember working in sales years ago. Initially, I had a different job function that I really enjoyed. But about six months in, they switched me to a sales position. I was tasked with selling training programs that help businesses sell their products to new customers. In other words, I was selling a program that helped me sell and helped other people sell. But there was one central problem. I'd never been in a sales role before. The first thing my boss asked me when I was switched to this new position was, so how many of these programs do you think you can sell every month? My reply, I have no idea. Maybe zero. I was totally terrified. I was completely uncomfortable with talking to people into buying something from me. But despite my fear, that was my job. So unless I was ready to quit and walk away, which I really couldn't afford to do, that was my new reality. Every Monday, my boss and I would huddle up and look at the sales numbers. We'd evaluate my performance, discuss what was working and what wasn't. We strategized new ways to get more people to buy from us. I fumbled my way through this new role. I learned a lot along the way, and some months were good and others were just awful. It was a nerve-wracking experience. And not to mention that my boss was a mastermind at making my nerves even more racked. One thing that I did notice after some time was that when I had a good month, Instead of patting me on the back, he simply suggested that we raise the goal for the next month. It was like he dangled a carrot just out of my reach. It seemed like the unspoken mantra was, do better next month, it's just not good enough. And no matter how hard I tried, I never quite seemed to measure up. Now, you might not be able to relate to this specific experience 
but you can probably relate, relate to the overall feeling of inadequacy in some area of your life. If you have kids, you're constantly trying to sell them to do something. If your kids are young, uh, I know we uh, definitely, this is our life right now, having a two and a five-year-old, this is the daily grind of getting them to brush their teeth, to take a bath, to do their homework, to eat their vegetables, to be nice to one another, to fall asleep at night, or to even clean their room. This can totally feels like a sales job. And when they finally do fall asleep at night, you take an exhausted inventory of your performance as a parent. I mean, even looking at their report cards or attending a parent-teacher conference can feel like a performance review of your parenting. Without realizing it, parents often tend to think things like, I'll do better tomorrow. I'll do better next year on their birthday. I'll do better focusing on behaviors next week. Or I'll do better at being a parent and using kind words the next time they aren't so kind. The carrot is always dangling just outside our reach. We have very few moments when we stop, take a deep breath, and say, I'm okay. I'm doing a good job. But it's not just parents who often feel this way. We also carry that same feeling as spouses, as friends, sons or daughters, brothers or sisters, employees or employers. And yes, even as followers of Jesus. Think about it. We spend more time with ourselves than with anyone else. We're able to see our own thoughts, our actions, our motivations. And when we evaluate ourselves as Christians, the results are simple. We're not measuring up. Let's face it. Most of us spend most of our lives disappointed at ourselves. And if we're disappointed at ourselves, God must be disappointed in us too. I mean, He's perfect. Plus, He sees every part of who we are and every single thing we do and think. How could He not be disappointed? I spent a lot of time thinking. God created me, so of course He loves me. I don't have to be convinced of that. But I maybe sometimes don't think He likes me very much. And I thought like this because of a nagging sense that I wasn't measuring up to a certain standard. When we struggle with feelings like this, many of us react in one of two ways. We may distance ourselves from God, or we may want to do more. So let's talk about distancing ourselves for just a moment. In my sales job, when I knew I was having a low-performing month, the last thing I wanted to do was meet up with my boss. I dreaded those meetings with every ounce of my being. I was worried that he'd be mad at me or disappointed. I thought he'd lecture me or make me feel even worse than I already did. And on the other hand, when my sales exceeded the goals he set for me, I didn't dread those meetings at all. I could not wait for them to happen. But sometimes and sometimes we're the same way with God. If we assume that he's disappointed at us because we don't measure up or try to run from him, maybe that means we try to run even more, or we hide, or we avoid him at all costs. The second way we often tend to react when we don't feel like we're measuring up is we try to do more. This is a simple concept also in sales. If you're performing poorly, you need to do more. You need to work harder, you need to strive longer, 
you double down on all your efforts to produce better results. And we often take the same result with God. If you're not measuring up, then we need to work harder. We need to pray more, read more, uh, trying to be more patient or kind or loving or graceful. We try to get more involved in church or invite our friends to church. But even those reactions, as common as they are, the reality is simply this. We don't have to feel this way. And we know this because Jesus himself addressed this very issue. today at some different things that we do when we often don't feel like we're measuring up, like distancing ourselves from God or trying to strive to do more, let us look at some truth out of the book of Luke. The book of Luke recognizes a time when Jesus attended a dinner with a group of religious leaders called Pharisees. They were extremely religious and they had a very specific, narrow way to follow God. In a Pharisee's mind, Following God meant following all the rules, even the rules around the rules. But once they heard that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the very Son of God, they were skeptical to say the least. Not one of the Pharisees uh, really believed he was. Now here we have this interesting thing here with this man called Simon. He invites Jesus to a dinner party so that they could question him about his claims of being the Messiah. And here's what happened, and this is directly out of Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet in her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, as we read Luke chapter 7, this might sound really strange to us, but in this culture, it was totally common to wash guest feet. Everyone wore sandals, and as a result, their feet got plenty dirty just simply walking around. Still, this encounter may have felt totally awkward to a lot of people were at this party. The dinner host certainly didn't like the idea of a sinful woman crashing his party, because we see this in Luke chapter 7 verses 39 through 40. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. If you study the life of Jesus, you know that this accusation is a bit comical. The Pharisees thought that if Jesus knew that the woman was a sinner, there's no way he'd allow her to be so close to him. But when you look at the accounts of Jesus' life, you see that he was always around sinners, in fact, all the time. Society's lowliest people often sought him out. They followed him through towns and deserts to spend time with him. They would risk being mocked by the good people just to be next to him. People who didn't measure up were drawn to Jesus. These people were people like fishermen, lepers, prostitutes, and tax collectors. 
obviously, this woman knew she didn't measure up to any kind of religious standard. She knew she was a sinner. And that's what drove her straight to Jesus' feet. Her appreciation for Jesus was fueled by her recognition of her own inadequacy. And let me say that again. The woman's appreciation for Jesus was fueled by her recognition of her own inadequacy. And we can learn so much from this. She didn't hide from Jesus when she didn't measure up. She didn't commit to doing more or becoming better. Instead, this feeling of inadequacy pulled her closer to him. In response to Simon, Jesus shared this hypothetical scenario. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them do you think he loved more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus responds with them, You have correctly judged. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And that's where our story ends in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 48. Jesus recognized that by the world's standards, this woman didn't measure up. But the truth is, none of us measure up. And the sooner we realize that God loves us anyway, the sooner we'll appreciate His grace and His forgiveness. When we realize that we don't have our act together, that none of us has our act together, we'll be aware of our need for a rescuer. When we realize that we're sinners, every one of us, we will know that we're in desperate need of a Savior. And that's when we have a decision to make. Do we continue to feel like we're falling short? Or maybe feel unworthy to be loved by God? Or can we follow the lead of this sinful woman and take our brokenness straight to the feet of Jesus? Can we express our appreciation for His love and receive His grace and His forgiveness? The truth is, you can experience freedom from feeling less than worthy. You can live in the reality of His unconditional love, and you can hold on to the unshakable truth that God loves you no matter what you've done. And experiencing this freedom starts with this step. We have to make space for God's grace. So if we make space for God's grace... How do we do that? Well, I'm going to share with you just three easy things that are essential for us as Christians. First, we must know that we can be real with God. Jesus was comfortable when sinners followed him from town to town. He went into their homes. He ate meals with them. He even hung out with them, even though a lot of religious people were convinced that God wanted nothing to do with sinners. Jesus came to earth and proved otherwise. We can dig into our lives, look at the ugly stuff, and bring them to God. 
He's not going to freak out or be surprised by it. In fact, he already knows they're there. When it comes to our sins, nothing's better than being vulnerable with our Savior. Because that's when we can finally admit that we're sick and we're in need of his help. The second thing we can do is know that we can worship God. This woman brought an alabaster jar to Jesus and she worshipped him with it. She didn't pretend to be something that she wasn't. She didn't cover up her sin with pride. She didn't stay away from God based on shame. When we're aware of our need of God, it can fuel a greater joy in our worship because we're worshiping a God who loves us no matter what. And the last thing we can do is know that we are loved by God. God doesn't wait for people to measure up in order to extend His love or grace to them. He loves you and me exactly the way we are, right at this moment. In fact, the more we understand that we're loved by God just as we are, the more we'll appreciate Him, which is, in turn, it will motivate us to follow Him even more. His love for us is unconditional and it's extravagant. So, every time you feel like you don't measure up, allow that feeling to be a reminder to make space for God. Every time you don't measure up, allow yourself the opportunity to make space for God's grace. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to work harder or earn your way back into God's favor with performance. You don't have to impress God with how much you're capable of doing. You can just run to God, be with Him, and be loved by Him. He longs to do that just for you. So today, may you make space for God's grace. And next week, we're going to be looking into a new series, the Now and Then series, really based upon decision-making and how present decisions can affect us positively or negatively. And we're going to look at some wisdom literature uh, from the Old Testament. So next week, be sure to join us for Now and Then. And if you have any questions about today's uh, message, feel free to leave them in the comments section. Hope you've enjoyed this four-week series of Making Space. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope that you're blessed by uh, this today.